A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 33, The Prince's Tale. Harry remained kneeling at Snape's side, simply staring down at him until quite suddenly a high, cold voice spoke so close to them that Harry jumped to his feet. The flask gripped tightly in his hands, thinking that Voldemort had... I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Caspar Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. A big shout out to the Queen City Quibblers from Charlotte, North Carolina, led by Elena Smith. I feel like there are a lot of cities called the Queen City because Cincinnati is also known as the Queen City. So Queen City Quibblers, I hope you don't meet any other Queen City Quibblers and that you have some sort of rumble. Maybe instead you'll create like a meta group that's spread across all Queen Cities. Now that's something I'm into. The Queen of Queens. If you want to join Elena and her wonderful crew, go to harrypottersacredtext.com and find out more about local groups. Before I moved to America, Vanessa, I was a young professional in London. And you know those movies where it's like, I always think of Anne Hathaway in The Devil Wears Prada, where she's like young and she feels like she's got it all together and she's like working for her boss and it's great because she finally figured out all the systems. I was that person But after a little while, I was starting to feel a little bit stuck and just not quite sure where I was going and what my professional life would look like. And that comes around now and then where you're like, what am I doing with my life? And at that moment, I met this wonderful woman called Charlotte, who was about 10 years older than me. And I was in my early 20s. So she was maybe early mid 30s, my age now. And we were working together on a project and I kept being late for meetings. And, you know, London's a big city and you can get stuck on the tube or whatever. But at some point she sat me down and she was like, what's going on with you being late all the time? And I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, me and like uh, London. And she wasn't buying it. And after a while, she just said, Casper, I'm going to be your coach because you're never going to ask for help. (laughs) And I was both a little bit like astonished that she just said it. But more than that, I was relieved because here was someone who was kind of 
inserting themselves into my life, wanting to help me. And she was so wonderful as a mentor and as a coach and, and helped me explore my kind of interest in spirituality that I hadn't really talked about anyone with. And so a huge part of my life is indebted to her because I don't think I would have gone to divinity school. I wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have been doing this podcast had she not said, I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to help you figure some things out. And for me, that was one of the most beautiful experiences of accompaniment because it wasn't that she was trying to get me somewhere specific. She was just going to sit next to me and ask me questions and share resources until I figured out what I needed to figure out for myself. But I knew that she would be there next to me while I was figuring it out. And that experience of accompaniment, of being loved into the person that you can become, not in a soft way, in a strong way, I just think is the most wonderful gift that we can give each other. And it's something one day I hope to be able to pass on to other people. Casper, I find that like dauntingly admirable. I am now in my late 30s and I cannot imagine looking at someone and being like, I'm going to fix this. <laughs> I just like <laughs> can't imagine being that confident or ever seeing someone so well. And I think that, you know, I don't know Charlotte, but that sounds like her gift that she was able to see you. And I'm always afraid that I'm not seeing someone properly. That seeing thing is exactly right, because it felt like she could see who I could become before I could see that. It's interesting you use the word fix, because I think that's not quite what it was. Do you know what I mean? It's more like helping you become more of yourself rather than like changing something that's broken. Although, I mean, it was annoying that I was always late. So she did fix that problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's tell people what happened in the chapter. Will you accompany me while I do this 30 second recap? I will definitely sit here in silence and smile as you remember things. Yes. <laughs> okay, count me in. Here we go. Three, two, one, recap. So Lupin is dead and Tonks is dead. And Harry's like, I can't believe that that many people have died for me. Voldemort is like, Harry, I'll stop murdering everyone if you just show up. And he's like, geez, I have this like thing of memory. So I'm going to go up to Dumbledore's office or Snape's office and pour the, the thing in. And um, and he starts looking at all of Snape's memories of Lily. And he realizes that Snape was in love with his mom and that Snape wanted to save Harry and that Snape didn't want to kill Dumbledore. And Snape is complicated. Always. OK, Casper, I walked into that so chill and I don't know why, because so much happens in this chapter. <laughs> I think I was like, God, Lupin and Tonks die. <laughs> That's a lot. I yeah. just wanted to like sit in that. And then I was like, I actually have to recap. OK, on your mark, get set, go. So once Harry is in Snape's memory, we kind of jump through all of these memories together with Lily. So we see them as children playing and she's discovering that she's a witch and then they're going to Hogwarts and like Petunia had written to Dumbledore wanting to go, which is fascinating. Um, and then we see him calling her a mudblood from a different perspective this time. Um, and we basically learn more and more about how Snape had sacrificed himself in order to serve her and her memory. And um, then he turns on Dumbledore and is like, you used me. And that was such a satisfying moment. Yeah, you've raised this boy as a pig to the slaughter. Right. Yeah, it's Snape's good moment. It's his only good moment, but it's his good moment. I mean, I want to start there in this theme conversation, which is that Dumbledore is no one's accompanier. Accompanying someone has to be about, to your point with Charlotte, right? Like, you can't have an agenda. Right. You have to just be willing to be next to someone and sort of let them lead you. No matter where they go, you are going to be next to them. And Dumbledore is the opposite of that. He is entirely conditional accompanier. You have to behave the way he wants you to, or he won't be next to you. And he's an instrumentalizer. And I'm not saying good or bad, right? Like, being an accompanier means that you're passive, right? You can accompany someone as they are self-destructive or as they do bad things. I don't think every moment calls for accompaniment, but I was like, Dumbledore has literally never in his life been someone who accompanies. Yeah, he exhibits so much of what I've always wanted Harry to get out of this sense of I'm all alone in the world. I only can control it. I have to do everything like that is Dumbledore's approach. And he doesn't make it to book seven. <laughs> I mean, he hands on the task. 
but he fundamentally looks at life as a chessboard and he's moving people from one place to another in order to overcome the enemy that he has identified. And as you said, he's not wrong in the sense of how that has to happen, but it massively undermines these moments that we will look back on in the earlier books where we see Dumbledore coming to Harry's bedside of, you know, sharing in this loving, mentoring way, because that is a facade. Like this chapter tells us what really is going on. And he has only formed a relationship with Harry because Harry performs a function. So I completely agree with you. One of the things that feels important to me to say about accompaniment, and this is maybe, maybe we're looking at two different forms of it, but it doesn't feel passive to me, at least in my experience of it, is it does feel very active, not just in the kind of, I'm going to be your coach because you're never going to ask for help kind of thing, but also in the active sharing of resources or books or, you know, I discovered the Enneagram because Charlotte encouraged me to take it. And then we had conversations about it. Like I'm thinking about the mirror of Erised as a beautiful image of accompaniment because it's like, it's holding a mirror back up to yourself. Like someone is showing you who you are and what you want. And so I do wonder if there's something in that moment that we find redeeming in Dumbledore. Like, are there things that he did, even though he did it for the wrong reasons, that to Harry still are experienced as accompaniment? So I don't want to get into semantics. I view accompaniment as standing right behind someone, like six inches behind them. Like imagine a toddler walking and you are just behind them in case they slip, but not at any point leading them or deciding where they walk. Mm. I mean, I guess unless they're about to like walk into a coffee table, right? So maybe, no, I, I'm really thinking like, and I, I'm imagining you as a giant toddler and right, like as Charlotte being like, well, oh, you're about to hit a coffee table. Let's steer this way. But that's not what Dumbledore is doing. Dumbledore is not yeah. saying, look at you, you're walking. I'm just going to be here in case you fall. He is steering, right? Like yeah. he's more like walking a dog on a leash and being like, nope. We're not going that way. We're going this way. So was there time in which his company was pleasant and wanted from Harry? Definitely. Hmm. But he just always had an agenda. No, that's that's compelling. And I think we can even look beyond just Dumbledore and Harry to look at Dumbledore and Snape. Because in my, my memory of the story, I'm always shading things or, or smoothing off edges here and there. And I'd always looked at Dumbledore and Snape's relationship as this like, ah, oh, but Dumbledore was there for him. And so like the service that Snape offers is also part of, you know, his friendship or his loyalty to Dumbledore. And like this chapter reminds us that that is not true. No, Dumbledore like blackmails him essentially. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it is again a sense of using and I would say nearly abusing the relationship. Dumbledore manipulates Snape over and over again, so much so that he manipulates him into murder. And I mean, it's a willing sacrifice by Dumbledore. So, you know, that's a whole gray area in itself. But nonetheless, he's asking this ultimate awful thing of Snape and Snape doesn't want to do it. So I'm compelled by your argument because I think we see a pattern of that behavior beyond just Harry to Snape as well. I mean, I really love that moment that you're pointing us to. Also, I read the Snape Dumbledore murder slightly differently. First of all, I just like so profoundly believe in the right to die with dignity as I know you do, right? That Yes, yeah. I just wish that everybody had what Dumbledore had, which is I'm dying anyway. Like, please help me do this quickly and as painlessly as possible and with dignity. And so I think that what Dumbledore is saying to Snape is if we let Draco kill me, he will for the rest of his life be accompanied by Voldemort. But if you kill me, I will be accompanied in my death by you. Mm. And he's saying Draco would be a murderer. If he killed me, you would be a merciful actor if you did it. You know, we we talk a lot nowadays about intent versus impact and that what matters is the impact. I think that that's true. And I think that this shows an important nuance in that, which is the difference between impact and result, because mm. no matter what, Dumbledore is going to end up dead. And that is the result. But the impact on Dumbledore, if Draco killed him, would be this like last failure of a student 
betraying himself and becoming the sort of monster and having his soul ripped in half, or the impact is going to be a colleague acting mercifully. Yeah, it's so complicated because we see that Snape really struggles with it after the fact. Like he knows he's done a service, but the fact that his password to get into his office is Dumbledore, to me, that was so illustrative that he has not let Dumbledore go. Like it doesn't feel closed or complete. I think it's a wound for Snape because Dumbledore even with all of his manipulations, was the only other person who could witness Snape's courage, right? He says, you're hiding the best of you. No one will know this. And of course, we get to see it, thankfully, because he's sharing it in these dying moments through the, you know, the memories that he shares with Harry. I don't know. I I left this chapter feeling very troubled and complicit nearly (laughs) in this kind of making Dumbledore into a hero. And he does do heroic things. I, I don't want to say that he doesn't. But we see, I think, not only some of his failings, but some of his weaknesses. The fact that he tries on the ring alone. And we know what happens when you try and destroy a Horcrux, right? Something comes out that he could not defeat himself. And and I think this is where we see his weakness because he doesn't have anyone accompanying him when he tries to break the ring. He's overwhelmed by whatever this Horcrux shows him and he succumbs to it, which as an aside also made me wonder, is that why he brings Harry to the cave? Because he's like, I can't do another one on my own. I need someone to accompany me. We never see a Horcrux destroyed alone, right? Like Ginny is there when Harry destroys the basilisk. Like, I think that he's like trying to destroy these alone is a bad idea. Everyone needs to be (sighs) accompanied. Love that, Vanessa. The other thing I wanted to say that that I realized in this chapter and that you were talking about is Dumbledore, for all of his faults, he treats himself in the same way that he treats everyone else. He instrumentalizes himself as much as he does Snape and Harry. And so he constantly rejects accompaniment. And we've talked about this before, right? Like he self-sacrifices knowing that he's going to die anyways. It's different than what he's sacrificing with Harry, but... Mm. But he sees himself as a pawn in this as much as anybody else. And we see that in the conversation where Snape is saying, why are you meeting with Harry Potter all the time? What, you trust him and not me? And Dumbledore's like, nope, I'm telling him certain truths and you certain truths. And so what he's doing by never telling any one person all the truths is rejecting all accompaniment. And he gives something better to Harry than that, right? He gives Harry permission to talk to Ron and Hermione. Yes. And although I would say that Dumbledore isn't really accompanying Snape, he is doing this directing thing. At least Snape has one person who he can say everything to. Mm. And so Dumbledore has made himself the most alone, which reprieves him like 3% in my eyes. Vanessa, there was one piece of the text that struck me as a kind of commentary on accompaniment, which is as Harry is leaving the Shrieking Shack, like he's surrounded by devastation. He's just seen Snape die and he he's carrying the memories. And he tells us to escape into someone else's head would be a blessed relief. And it struck me that like, hmm, could I read this as accompaniment? And I decided no, because I think this was about numbing, right? Like this is me watching Netflix, eating large amounts of chocolate, which sometimes is necessary. And so I was just thinking about like, when should we look for accompaniment and when should we look, you know, something like numbing or escape or maybe something on the other end of the spectrum, like something more about accountability or about facing up to something that's really unpleasant that that isn't going to be gentle. Right. I mean, I just feel for Harry in this moment because it's like he's been given a strategic excuse to escape. It's like when I feel really overwhelmed by work and I'm like, oh, I have to read Harry Potter for work. And it's this like (laughs) beautiful excuse of like, I don't have to look at a budget on my inbox right now. And I literally have to read Harry Potter. So I get to escape and justify it as strategic. And that's what I see Harry doing in this moment is like, I want to escape so badly. And Snape has given me an excuse. He's he's accompanied me in this desire to allow me to escape for a moment because it might help me strategically. That's such a good point. We've not talked about the fact that Harry actually leaves Hermione and Ron 
in the Great Hall with all these other grieving people. We see Ron go to his family. We see Hermione goes and, and gives Ginny a hug. And Harry kind of just disappears. He, he's like, I don't want to be in this scene. I don't want to step into that set of conversations and relationships. And so all of this time that we've been talking about accompaniment and Harry being actually embedded within relationship, this is a moment when he goes off on his own. I think he's facing the fullness of the horror by himself. And I think it's only only in the next chapter, which of course is your favorite, that we see him being accompanied once again. And, and this actually feels like a, a deep moment of aloneness for Harry. I will say that I think sometimes you can simultaneously somehow be accompanied and alone. My favorite moment in art is in an episode of Sex in the City. Stay with me, folks. <laughs> Charlotte has been trying to get pregnant forever and can't get yes. pregnant. Miranda does not want to be pregnant and gets pregnant. They run into each other in the street. Charlotte has just found out that she most likely will not be able to get pregnant. And Charlotte is crying and says to Miranda, like, I just can't look at you right now. And Miranda says, okay, I'm going to walk behind you. Yeah. And Charlotte is like mad and walking like 20 feet in front of Miranda, who just walks behind her. Like that is accompaniment, right? Mm -hmm. It is. I understand that you want to be alone and I want you to know that I'm here for the second you decide you don't want to be alone anymore. Like that is the like the platonic ideal of accompaniment to me. That is like the most beautiful. But so much of what that's about is like a friendship that's 20 years in the making, right? Like you can't do that with a stranger necessarily. So I just think, I think that Harry maybe is accompanied. He knows where Ron and Hermione are. Mm. They are Miranda and he is Charlotte. Like he has to go and do this moment alone, but he knows that they are 20 feet behind him if he just turns around. Mm. That's when I, you and I have this in common where we sometimes make a list of friends, which is a really weird practice. But like every <laughs> once in a while, if I feel alone, but like genuinely don't want to talk to anyone, I will just like make a list of friends and be like, okay, here are all the people I could reach out to if I was in the mood to. <laughs> I think we see that with Lily and Snape immediately at Hogwarts. Lily must be so nervous to come to Hogwarts, except she has this person 20 feet behind her, which is she knows one person. She like knows Snape. And I think sometimes just knowing that some someone, anyone is 20 feet behind you gives you the courage to walk forward. That's such a beautiful image. And I remember that episode. It's so heartbreaking of Sex in the City. Yeah. You know, what I like about that example so much, Vanessa, is that Miranda inserts herself. There is something for me important about accompaniment, which is it's not always comfortable. And I think this is where it feels different from that beautiful scene that we're going towards in the next chapter, which is this calming presence of loved ones of Harry's who've died as he goes to encounter his death. Like they're not prodding him. They're not inserting themselves in a way that's awkward. I mean, maybe we're just looking at a scale of accompaniment, right? Like that you have some, which is just about loving presence, right? Nearly sort of a chaplain kind of presence. And then some, which is more a, a little bit pushy, but with love. And that's a fine, fine balance to, to create because that's easy to tip over into the wrong side. But maybe we're, maybe we're finding that accompaniment has that kind of spectrum as well. Yeah. And I think we see that with Snape and Lily, right? Like Snape... I mean, Snape is like seven and then like all the way up to 11. So I I judge Snape later, but I do not judge this version of Snape, right? Like he's watching her and like only tells her she's a witch when it's sort of an appropriate moment. He's like, look, that's why you can do what you can do. And yeah. then he tries to accompany her to what he thinks is the right thing, which is Slytherin. He like sometimes misses the mark and sometimes does a beautiful job and like sometimes has an agenda and sometimes just like wants a connection. I'm so glad you point us to those childhood memories because the, the relationship I really looked at was Lily and Petunia. Mm -hmm. Toonie. Toonie, which already I'm like, oh, I love her, right? Like <laughs> I this know. Little... Well, like she should have just been called Toonie forever and she would have turned out to be a wonderful human. I mean, maybe she was like, I never want to be Chuni again because that feels connected to my sister. Right? Like I'm just seeing so much more depth 
to her as a character and the fact that she does write because she wants to she wants to accompany her sister i find so endearing and it, it probably is also that she wants to be special she wants to have magic and i i, I fully understand that but it struck me that accompaniment is something that can be most difficult to do with the people who are closest to us because she cannot just let Lily be a witch without her also being one. I think sometimes, especially with family members, we have such an idea of who they should be that when they're becoming someone who we didn't expect, we feel personally offended. And it's so much easier to do that when, you know, maybe it is a friend or maybe it is someone we don't know, even somewhere we're encountering in a professional relationship because we're not so tied to this outcome that we want for them. Right. I just think that you can't accompany someone if you have any stakes in the outcome. And with family members, it's really hard to separate yourself from the stakes. And I think we see this in the Evans family. They are not accompanying Petunia through the grief of not being chosen. This is new information for Mr. and Mrs. Evans that their daughter is a witch. And they, I mean, they seem to be handling it in a very loving way where they're excited and they're looking at the Hogwarts Express and they're proud of Lily. But they are not accompanying either of their daughters in this moment. You know, they are proud and excited for Lily, which is not neutral accompaniment and they're not managing Toonie's hurt feelings, right? They are having their own feelings about this. And I think it's just really hard to not have your own feelings about family. Yeah. I'm suddenly seeing Lupin as a really powerful accompaniment figure for Harry in part because it's a transitional role. It's unlikely that the same person's going to be accompanying you throughout your life. There's probably chapters or stages where people really play that role and then step out of it. And we see Lupin and Harry have a real moment of conflict earlier in this book, where clearly that accompanying relationship has ended and there's a new relationship of love and respect, but also frustration that has come in. And so I guess as ever, relationships are always dynamic and changing. And then my be moments when we can step into that role and moments when we can't. Right. That's what I want to say. I do think there are moments when family can accompany one another. I just think that like... To stay there is hard. Yeah, I just think the difficulty level, it's like operating at the end of a video game. It's like the difficulty level of that is so high. Yeah, you can't do it if you need a snack, right? <laughs> you can't do it if you have a hope for them. Yeah, yeah. Which is just really hard. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Okay, so I have like a ridiculous question about accompaniment. Yes. Peter Pettigrew gets sorted mm. into Gryffindor. He is the least brave person alive. Is it because he's accompanied on the train by... James, who's like, I want to be in Gryffindor. And then Sirius is like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll break the mold. And so he like begs the hat to turn him into a Gryffindor. Maybe Peter would have been happier and more content and a more authentic version of himself if he had been in Slytherin or Ravenclaw. But because he like happened to be in the company of Gryffindors, he strived to be something inauthentic to himself. It's such a Interesting question, because I definitely had that same vision of him sitting under the hat being like, please, Gryffindor, please, Gryffindor, please, Gryffindor, which is different from not Slytherin, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. And honestly, my guess is that actually he shouldn't have been in either. I mean, are we agreeing once again that houses cause friction that is unnecessary? Dumbledore has the best line of the whole seven books in this chapter when he says, sometimes I think maybe we sort too early. I'm like... Dumbledore, it's the wisest thing you've ever said. It's not extreme enough, but yeah. I was like, never mind. Dumbledore is smart. He agrees with me. <laughs> he may have put on the ring, but at least he realized that the sorting system is either too soon or wrong completely. I want to say one other thing, though, about Hogwarts itself, because, I mean, we we hear over and over again how both for Voldemort, especially in his younger life as Tom Riddle, and for Harry, this is the place that is home. And it feels like the presence of Hogwarts in his mind, even while they're traveling all over the UK, is this accompanying image or, or vision. So I was just suddenly thinking about, can you be accompanied by a place or a memory as much as a, a person? And of course, this whole chapter is about memory. So that, that, that came that came to me. Oh, totally. I'm still accompanied by my teddy bear, which like is somewhere in my room, but I don't see it every day. And like, I, I'm about to confess, I don't snuggle with it every night. I don't like kiss it on its little nose every night like I used to. I used to make my mom tuck me in and tuck in Teddy, right? Like, <laughs> but... Whenever I do see him, he reminds me of all of that. Like, he is every memory of my mom indulging me and kissing him on the nose. He is everywhere I've ever lived. He's been with me. So, like, it's almost like he's absorbed all of that into his completely flattened stuffing because I've slept on him <laughs> for 30 years. I can't wait to see Teddy next time I come to visit. Oh, my God. If you pull up his tail, you can see sort of the original color he was. <laughs> So, Casper, we are going to be returning to one of my favorite spiritual practices, sacred imagination, where we're going to invite everyone to find just sort of the most relaxed and open-minded position that they can safely get into. Casper just cracked his knuckles. And, <laughs> and closed my eyes. And closed his eyes. He's like, ready. So if safe, we encourage you to close your eyes, put your feet on the floor. We're going to take two deep breaths in and out. So we're going to take a breath in. And a breath out. And a breath in. And a breath out. And really try to imagine yourself into the scene. It is between Snape and Dumbledore. And this is, I would argue, Snape's most famous moment. And try to use all five senses as I read this to you. So the boy, the boy must die, asked Snape quite calmly. And Voldemort himself must do it, Severus. That is essential. Another long silence. 
Then Snape said, I thought all these years that we were protecting him for her, for Lily. We have protected him because it has been essential to teach him, to raise him, to let him try his strength, said Dumbledore, his eyes still tight shut. Meanwhile, the connection between them grows ever stronger, a parasitic growth. Sometimes I have thought he suspects it himself. If I know him, he will have arranged matters so that when he does set out to meet his death, it will truly mean the end of Voldemort. Dumbledore opened his eyes. Snape looked horrified. You have kept him alive so that he can die at the right moment? Don't be shocked, Severus. How many men and women have you watched die? Lately, only those whom I could not save, said Snape. He stood up. You have used me. Meaning, I have spied for you and lied for you, put myself in mortal danger for you. Everything was supposed to keep Lily Potter's son safe. Now you tell me you have been raising him like a pig for slaughter. But this is touching, Severus, said Dumbledore. Have you grown to care for the boy after all? For him, shouted Snape. Expecto Patronum. From the tip of his wand burst the silver dough. She landed on the office floor, bounded once across the office, and soared out of the window. Dumbledore watched her fly away, and as her silvery glow faded, he turned back to Snape, and his eyes were full of tears. After all this time, always, said Snape. So, Casper, who were you in the scene? Wow. Talk about an emotional journey. I was Dumbledore and went through like three whole stories. Tell me everything. Well, the thing that really struck me this time is that he has his eyes closed for a first third of that conversation. And so I was experiencing so much sadness and regret. You know, I was holding it together and I was just so sad. Like, I didn't choose this situation. I didn't make Voldemort attack the Potters and Harry, this kind of like magical boy who lived. Like, I felt so much regret about the situation that I was in and what I was having to do to save the magical world. And not just the magical world, the muggle world for that point. So I was conflicted. I was sad. I was heavy when he has his eyes closed. And then when Snape starts judging him, I was so furious. I was like, how dare you judge me? You became a death eater. Like you have killed people probably. Like how how dare you even tell me what is right and wrong? So I was like furious. And then at the end, there's this total sincerity in that last question, right? His eyes are brimming with tears. And I think the silence, like this space of watching the dough go out of the window, and I really saw it go into the sky for a long time. And so I'm imagining that there was this real pregnant pause where that fury transforms into compassion. And the fact that like, listen, you and I have both made mistakes. You and I are both responsible. All we can do is do the best we can. And I see in you the place where this courage and this conviction comes from. And I honor that. And so it... it, I don't want to say like I was at peace because I wasn't. I was I was just in the sadness with him, with Snape. So that was like, wow, I really went through the ringer. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, your analysis helped me see Dumbledore differently. Something I've always struggled with in Judaism is that you're supposed to be buried whole. So you're not supposed to donate any of your organs And in Judaism, the highest mitzvah is to save a life, right? If you save a life, it's as if you've saved the whole world. And I've always seen these things as so conflicting. I'm like, in order to be buried in a Jewish cemetery, I have to be whole. But don't you also want me to save a life? And I see that embodied in Dumbledore now where Snape is like, how dare you reduce this boy to his organs? He is a whole body and we need his whole body in order for his life to be saved for Lily. And Dumbledore saying he needs to die. Like we might as well use the organs and save others lives. We might as well make it meaningful. 
And so I just think that this conversation is holding that tension for me. And I think both of them want both. Yes, I completely agree because Snape is also essentializing Harry, right? Because it's not about Harry, it's about Lily. And I think we see elsewhere in this chapter when Snape is like, oh, the boy is so annoying. Dumbledore says like, I'm actually quite fond of the boy, right? Like there is also a genuine affection and he has like mediocre, like relatively good magic skills. Good for him. (laughs) So I I, I think you're absolutely right that they're both doing both. And we're seeing a particular dynamic in, in this scene. But I mean, this is such a crucial scene for the whole book and and for Harry's story of himself. This is the apex of his understanding of where he comes from and why his life has been the way it has. And I mean, part of me wonders like, wow, if we did the secret imagination again and I was Harry, what would I be feeling, right? We've talked about his numbness and his wanting to escape, but my God, this is not a comfortable escape, right? It's like watching a Netflix show that's like, and this is why you're screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) Your life story. (laughs) Vanessa, how about you? Who were you as you were reading this, this piece of the text? I mean, obviously we agree on a cosmic level to be different characters because I was Snape. Yes. And I think it's because like this is the only line that Snape says in this argument that I love. Or it might be the only line that Snape says that I love. What about turn to page 394? (laughs) (laughs) I just don't like 394. I think everyone should have turned to 219. But anyway, I love when he says to Dumbledore, let's confront this, right? You have raised him as a pig for the slaughter. I just love the brutality of it. Like... We might have to go along with this plan, but let's confront what you're doing and what we're doing and do it knowing that and calling a spade a spade. I know that Snape is brave a lot of the time, but I just think that there's real courage to that. That's really compelling. And we've talked about the house system again in this episode. And like, this is a moment of courage. This is a moment where... He's actually exhibiting very Gryffindorish qualities. And again, it makes me wonder, you know, if he hadn't been driven by this quest of being great, who could Snape have become? Yeah. Well, Casper, thank you so much for engaging in that sacred imagination with me. I loved it. And thanks for offering the breaths at the beginning. That really helped me arrive in the scene. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Our voice memo this week is from Ingrid. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. My name is Ingrid, 
and uh, I live in New York, just like Casper. I just wanted to thank you for your thoughts on the house system as difficult and not easy, uh, but also as aspirational as far as placement. I'm really loving the idea that the the hat might see something in us that we don't quite yet see in ourselves. I have always considered myself a Hufflepuff, which I'm happy to be, let me tell you. But when I took the Pottermore test, it placed me in Ravenclaw. And so I asked a bunch of my friends where they saw me and they all said Ravenclaw. So I've been, I've been challenging myself to sort of rewrite this narrative in my head of who I am. I know I get to choose, which is the best part. You, you, we can choose what house we're in. But I have dyslexia and uh, I've just had to work a lot harder in school to be at the same level as other people. It takes me a lot longer. And so I imagine myself standing in front of my common room door, like really having to work for this riddle to get in or something. Um, and it's been really powerful to, to, to think of myself not just as hardworking, but as clever in itself that I still get a place at the table of, of smart and clever. And I, like, I get to sit with the, with the knowledgeable kids, with the bookish kids, even if it takes me longer to get there. So thank you for, for opening up that, that avenue for me to think about myself and, and just encourage myself to sit at whatever table I want. There's power there. Appreciate you. Ingrid, I think we are all aspirational Ravenclaw. Like, don't we all just want to be Luna? And I really do love this metaphor of I can sit at whatever table I want. That reminds me of something that my best friend said. She and I are very differently shaped people, but we wear the same size shoe. And she bought these really fabulous bright red, like pointy, great shoes. And she was like, try them on. And I was like, I can't pull those off. And she was like, if you wear them, you're pulling them off. And I was just like, true. And I think that that's true of houses and tables. Like if you do it, you're doing it. I love that. And that's all it is. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Ingrid. And thank you for the fabulous voicemails. Uh, this last few weeks have just been so lovely. There's been so many of you who've shared voicemails as we come to the end of book seven. So thank you. As we come to the end of this episode, we are lifting up the names of loved ones who have passed from COVID-19 and who we want to remember as, as loved ones for people in our community. So let me read out their names as we take a moment to, to honor their lives. Today, we remember Steve Phillips, who was 45 and a father, husband and beloved friend. John Billington was 87, a bread baker, scientist and family man. Brent, a loving partner who smoked incredible salmon. Alice Mead, who was 80, a mother, grandmother, cat lover, and trailblazer. Michael McBride, who was 70, a father, grandfather, and a really great uncle. Sean Smith, who was 54, and a beloved brother. And Mitch Alvins, who was 73, a father of three, a lover of photography, and a veteran. they all rest in peace. Casper, we now get to offer our own blessings. Who would you like to offer a blessing for? Oh boy, there's so many people in this chapter that I want to bless, but the person I'm going to offer a blessing to is Petunia. Toonie. Toonie. Yeah. And let me say blessing for Toonie. I saw such fear and desperation in her, in those memories that Snape shares, right? Like she doesn't understand what's happening to Lily She's desperate to then be part of this world that Lily is entering and she can't. And her response to it is one of bitterness and cruelty and a longstanding aversion and that ends up being abusive to Harry. But that initial response of fear and desperation is one I definitely recognize. And I just feel for anyone who's in that situation where you're like, I'm going to be left behind. I want to do everything not to be left behind. Please, please let me be part of this. And she she can't be part of it. And it shapes and haunts the rest of her life. And it ruins her, really. So I just hope that anyone who's in that place of feeling that fear and desperation can somehow avoid drowning in it. Because it doesn't lead 
to happiness for you or, or anyone else around you. So a blessing for, for Toonie in the hope that perhaps as she sees her son reconcile with Harry, that she too can be transformed. How about you, Vanessa? So Casper, I want to bless Lily. Hmm. There's this like great moment where Lily is confronting Snape and she is saying to him, like, you are becoming friends with Death Eaters. And like, I don't like James Potter, but I super don't approve of you. And I think it is simultaneously important for us to not judge Snape in this moment because he's 16. And I really do want to believe that like all teenagers can grow and all of us can grow, but that we should really create so much leeway for young people to grow. But I also want to celebrate the people who are already awesome at a young age, like Lily. Like Emma Gonzalez is someone who I really admire, who just has like such clarity of words and purpose in her life in response to the devastating incident that happened at her high school in Parkland, Florida. And there are young people who are so inspiring and just have so much integrity. And yes, we need to create space for people like Petunia to grow. Otherwise, they become Petunia. But also, Lily's awesome at 16. And I just think that we should honor the people who have it together young. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and join other listeners discussing this episode in the Facebook Common Room. Please join one of our local groups and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon who make this project possible. You can always leave us a review on iTunes, send us a voicemail, and help make our new podcast. We've created the first pilot, and we're getting feedback this week. Go to patreon.com slash notsorrypod. Next week, we're reading chapter 34, the best chapter in the whole series, The Forest Again, through the theme of reunion. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We want to thank Ingrid for this week's voicemail, Molly Baxter, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of you who sent in the names of your loved ones. Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Last question for me, Casper. So we see in Snape's memory that he is accompanied slash manipulated by Dumbledore's portrait. Explain to me the magic of portraiture. Why doesn't Harry draw a picture of Dumbledore? (laughs) And then just be like, hey, Albie, I need help. (laughs) I hate this so much how helpful Dumbledore's (laughs) portrait is. So he's not dead. He's alive. Everyone draw a picture of him. We're done. I love the idea that like this is why they don't teach art at Hogwarts because people would create like illegal (laughs) portraits which would like (laughs) become a whole like communication system so it's a very specialized art school that only selected people are taken into and they're kept separate from society just to create portraits I am very into this vision